Welcome to Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with Patrick Green, Executive Director and Founding Director of the Center for Engaged Learning, Teaching and Scholarship at Loyola University, Chicago. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. My guest today is Patrick Green. Patrick is the Executive Director and the Founding Director of the Center for Engaged Learning, Teaching, and Scholarship at Loyola University, Chicago. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I have been such a big fan of yours, actually, before we met. I don't know if you knew that, because Loyola University Chicago has had a fabulous reputation of doing e-portfolio work for many years before you and I actually got to work together on implementing a portfolio at, at the institution. And so um, just wanted to let you know how big of a fan I have been, and I'm so grateful that I am to, to have you on Digication Scholars. Um, so I, I said your title, it's, it's a fairly long title, but your actual titles, I feel like I couldn't possibly um, you know, say it all. You, you are also Director of Engaged Learning, which we can talk about. You've, you, you are on, I feel like so many boards and, and advisory uh, boards and groups, you've had many titles, leadership roles at the university. You have, um, you are an uh, accomplished author, both, you know, for journals and, you know, sort of peer, you know, uh, academic publications, but also um, uh, uh, various books and chapters. Man, um, and you, you, you won awards, you um, have just been elected, I think in, well, a couple of years ago to serve on the board of um, C, the Society for Exper Experiential Education. Um, I, I must say that I have read your bios and like, you have bios in multiple places online. Um, but the best of, I must say, even though I'm highly biased, is your actual portfolio. Your portfolio tells me so much about what you do and in such a warm and approachable way. I, I just, I love that. And um, so kudos to that, first of all. Many people that I work with, especially someone who's an executive director for a program, et cetera, they do not have their own portfolios. And the fact that you do and that it's a real portfolio, it's, um, it's refreshing. Thank you. Well, first of all, Jeff, thanks so much for those kind, kind words. I, um, uh, deeply appreciate that. And I, you know, um, worked on my portfolio because we ask students to do these portfolios. And I didn't think in good faith I could do that without truly understanding the process of working on a portfolio, the reflection that goes in to working on a portfolio, mm -hmm. the the folio thinking that happens throughout the process. Uh, and, and I learned so much and continue to work on and build my portfolio. As a matter of fact, it becomes one of my annual goals every year to update my portfolio. Um, and so that I'm, I'm really staying true to the learning 
uh, and teaching through ePortfolios that we ask our students and our faculty to do as well. I, I I love that. That's the the very authentic part of what you do, and it it comes through in every way. Um, I must say that um, there's so much to talk about, but one of the things that I really want to learn more about, Patrick, is sort of your origin story, because it feels like that everything that I have come across that what you've done, you're so brilliant. And I'm going, how does he? How does he get there? You know, what was the what was the drive? Um, was there something about the way you grew up, um, your, your your own education experience? What makes you care so much about experiential learning and you know student engagement, faculty engagements, and portfolios, and so on? Uh, well, thank you for for that. Uh invitation to reflect a little bit on on my own journey. Um, I will say, you know, I, I'm the youngest of five kids. And so my education always starts with family, um, with my two brothers and my two sisters and and my mom and dad. I mean, they're the, the, the learning community that I was born into and never want to leave. Um, the, so certainly family, uh, I think, has influenced my educational journey and my professional journey in a lot of different ways. I also think, Jeff, uh, I took a very circuitous route. Um, you know, I think that for, for those who think there is a linear path that we take in life, I just think that's that's true for a very small percentage. But for many of us, it is a zigzag and a circle and uh, uh, lots of different shapes and um, sometimes laps that we do before we find where we want to be and what we want to do. And I was one of those uh, students who who went to college not knowing exactly what my major was. I had some ideas of what I liked to do. Um, and then I graduated from college not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do. So when I interact with students now and they say, I, I don't know what my major is, sometimes students will say that apologetically. I always say, congratulations, you're exploring because you're going to be exploring for a while, right? And even when students graduate from college and say, I don't know what I want to do, and they say it apologetically. And I'm like, I don't know many 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds, if they're a traditional age student, that truly know what they want to do. Some may have ideas, um, but they're going to change. Uh, as they continue through their their life journey. And I think that certainly when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I loved learning. And I thought I might like teaching and education. Uh, but before I knew that, I went on to graduate school and got a um, graduate degree in history. I taught high school for a couple of years. I worked in social services for a couple of years. And all of these were part of a journey for me to really discover what was it that I really wanted to do? Where did I find my my passions and my joys and my interests and my talents intersecting with uh, the, the world's greatest needs and the community's most pressing issues? Um, and really, I saw an intersection when I was working in social services. I was actually the community partner that would be signing students' volunteer logs uh, and working with college students in a nonprofit organization. That, Jeff, was when I realized I want to be at the intersection of the community and higher education. Uh, 
And so for me, this, this journey was really about exploring and asking what I really wanted to do, uh, where I found myself um, passionate in. And so it was in that intersection of, of the community and higher education. And that's where I decided to go on for an advanced degree to kind of study community-based learning, experiential learning. Uh, and from that, really delved into reflection and how important reflection is and the teaching and learning enterprise, um, which drew me then into e-portfolios and how you know, digital portfolios provide a space for uh, all individuals, not just students, all individuals to reflect and explore and connect their learning so that they can really just make visible their journey and help them as they continue on their journey. Um, so, you know, my education uh, was incredibly um, significant all along that that journey. I think when learning spaces were places of excitement for me, places where I could explore and and I loved to learn and wanted to create those spaces for others, um, which became really part of my my professional journey. So I'm going to stop there. No, it's there's it this it is fabulous and I I feel like that it actually answers some of my fill some of the holes that I have in, you know, like you know, trying to figure out, you know, how how have you become so accomplished in these things? And it's it's um I like what you said about the path not really necessary being linear. I, I honestly don't think anyone has a linear path. It's very difficult to have that and perhaps arguably a little bit boring as well to have that. Um, but it's not even zigzag. I like when you said sometimes you go and lap. Yes. I, I, I haven't heard anyone say that before, but I absolutely see that even for myself and for many people I know. And sometimes they're good they're good to have the labs. You're running the labs a little faster every time, or sometimes differently, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, the saying of a history repeats itself. Sometimes that repeats in your own world as well. It's kind of like this fractal, like, you know, sort of experience. Yes. Um, and um, so it's that's fascinating. But I love the idea that you... You know, it's, it's like uh, something that blossomed over time in... It of course take the environment like your family and so on, but it really, you know, eventually it blossomed and then it really sort of served a purpose. Um, and, and 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 that's really a perhaps something that I feel like society is not letting a young people to have the time and the space to do that. Sometimes, you know, we give them so much pressure. Um, and it's societal pressure, right? Like everyone is expected to go right to college after high school, you know, right away find out exactly what it is that you're gonna do. You're majoring in something and it feels like such a big decision. Um, even though every, you know, even I think now is no longer, you know, like a specialized knowledge that your brain doesn't even get fully developed until you are 26 or more. So how do we get expect people to have that? And it, it nothing sort of tracks. It seems nothing seems to really track. And so 
um, it's a it's a tough ask, um, and yet we expect them expect so much out of them, uh, and and seeing someone with your success and and knowing that it didn't happen for you just like you know you were born and then you became Patrick Green as you are today you know you 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 it it took you time to get there too which I think is really great. And some of those things, I feel like, you know, without you having taught high school and social service and participated in social services, some of these things just wouldn't have been, you know, you wouldn't have had the knowledge to do that. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. As a matter of fact, I often will say I had to go through these other parts of my journey (laughs) to get to where I am. So, um, but I didn't necessarily know it at the time, you know, I think- I think one of culturally, one of our issues is we talk about careers at the beginning. We should be talking about careers when we're retired because we don't know yet what our careers mm-hmm. are because we're constantly <laughs> on a journey, yeah. right? We're, we yeah. should be exploring. And sometimes that means we're shifting um, into different industries, into different roles, into different jobs, into different organizations. Um but our language is such that we think there is a linear career path for people, or we ask college students, um, what is the career path? Uh, and I try to really reframe that when I work with college students. I instead say, what are you going to do next year? Because right. that's what all you have to plan for, okay. for now. And then what are your goals for the future? And if you don't know, then I hope you explore. What are your goals for exploring? You know, giving, I think, ourselves permission to explore, which is part of the most exciting part of being human, giving ourselves that permission to explore, to explore different uh, professional opportunities, to explore different hobbies, to explore different locations. Exploration is just part of, of the human condition. So giving ourselves that permission in our personal lives, I think, is incredibly important and it allows us to then understand, oh, there isn't a pre-paved path. There isn't a I'm supposed to or I should. The less we can should ourselves, the more we open ourselves up, right? And so I think for students, I think I have often said, um, allow yourself to explore. And once you graduate, allow yourself to explore. That's also true, I think, for colleagues and peers. I think for some of the faculty development that I've done, for some of the professional uh, development I've done for faculty and staff. Um, You know, I often talk about um, the role of being a scholar practitioner, um, that I am a both and. I'm a third space professional. I'm in the gray spaces, or as the literature will often say, the betwixt and the between. Um, That I have a foot in the community, a foot in the classroom. I have a foot in theory and a foot in practice. I have a foot in administration and a foot in um, academia um, and the classroom all the time. So I am I am not in a singular box. I am I am constantly in a, a Venn diagram. I am always at the intersections of two or three um, uh, pos- positionalities. And so I think you know to allow people to understand that they may find themselves also at the intersection in those gray spaces. Um, and then to explore that is, is really, really powerful. Uh, and I think just allowing ourselves to understand that a career is something we should be reflecting on once we're retired, we can name it then. 
But in the meantime, uh, we shouldn't be trying to name things and box ourselves in. We should be exploring and giving ourselves permission to turn right, left, go straight, or turn back and look and walk in, in that direction as well. So one of the things that um, I remember being, was, was so excited when we found out we were going to be working with you and, and at Loyola um, was a conversation that we had, but there's something that you have, you and your colleagues at Loyola has spoken a lot in conferences and, and, and so on about this idea of learning portfolios. So I will just ask the question, perhaps ask you to talk about the difference between a learning portfolio versus the other. Maybe it's a showcase portfolio or whatever other portfolio that most people might may expect out of a portfolio. Uh, why don't you talk to a little bit about that? Because I think it it really sort of everything that you just said and your life story fits into this idea of a learning portfolio, doesn't it? So what can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, Loyola University of Chicago has been um, facilitating a, a, our learning portfolio program for, um, gosh, it's been about uh, 13 years now. And so um, we used to call it the e-portfolio program. And uh, immediately we saw a trend where people get confused um, with the technology versus the pedagogy. Um, and so they get really wrapped up on the technology part of it. And I um, had to reframe for them that technology is going to continue to evolve and change. I want you to focus on the pedagogy, on the learning part of it. So we actually renamed the program, the Learning Portfolio Program. And, and that's how we refer to our digital portfolios or our e-portfolios here at Loyola. We call them learning portfolios because the emphasis is really on the learning and critical reflection that students do through a digital portfolio. And we wanted to really elevate the learning. Like that is the purpose of that digital portfolio for us. It is really to say, why are we doing this? Why are we spending so much time on this? Why are we working with faculty across all the different schools and disciplines to embed this into their courses, into the curriculum? And it's because, as we know, and research tells us, that uh, portfolios, electronic portfolios, are a high-impact practice, that they contribute to the deep learning that is clearly by the research defined by uh, learning that is um, transfers over time, is integrated um, into someone's life. And so because of that, we wanted to really create um, the emphasis and name it um, specifically for people. And so we called it learning portfolios. And our emphasis when we work with students and we work with faculty um, and, and embedding this into their courses is that this is an opportunity for students to bring their learning to life, to make their learning visible. This is an opportunity um, to use evidence-based learning where students can demonstrate their learning. Uh, and, and that that then allows students uh, to show, to demonstrate their learning, but also allows students to critically reflect on that learning. It allows students to make meaning um, and to, um, in their own words, name and connect that learning um, to the larger world, to the course that they're 
um, currently studying um, and working in uh, to the you know local community, to the uh, nation, to the larger um, global context, whatever the case may be. So for us, we thought, okay, this is really important and we, we're completely reframing this. And that's why we here we call them learning portfolios and it's all about the learning. You know, what's, first of all, I am so glad that you are able to just so succinctly um, talk about this and, and in such a way that um, I think anyone can understand. I think all of us can identify with that. One of the things that I often get into, um, uh, you know, into conversations with folks talking about portfolios is that the word portfolio sometimes, you know, by itself, not learning, but just portfolios itself implies a lot about this finished product. Kind of like what you were saying, describing the career. What is your career? This is it. You know, like this finished product as opposed to the journey and the exploration and the reflection and all of that. And I, I, th- I think a lot of folks have a tough time trying to traverse between those two worlds. Isn't there a space where my portfolio is really going to be for the employer? So maybe even more fundamental question, should an employer, at, let's say at some point, students say, I'm really, you know, I, I'm graduating and there is a practical piece, like, like you were saying, there's theory and there's practice. There's a practical piece of me looking for a job. All right, let's just take that which many of your students are doing right now, probably, right? It is June, and if they haven't already, um, they're taking that portfolio out there. Um, is it, like, how useful is that learning portfolio? And versus, is does, do you need to translate that somehow to become a polished sort of showcase slash career portfolio? Or do you kind of celebrate the learning part of the portfolio? What would, you, what would your advice be? Yeah, great, great question. And we we get those questions all the time. And I think, you know, the the learning portfolio for us is both process and product. So uh, we we really emphasize the process. And that's where the critical reflection comes in. I think um, if if any of us are honest about learning, especially if you look at the research and literature from um cognitive science in the past two decades from the scholarship of teaching and learning in the past two decades. Um, We know learning is messy. We know learning is um, a process. We know learning requires both affective and cognitive development. In other words, we know that we want our students to both feel and think because when they feel and think, that's when deep learning really happens. And one of the ways that students can demonstrate that is through the audiovisual um, elements and artifacts that can be embedded in a portfolio, in a digital portfolio. So not only do you have the products of a student's work, for example, papers from classes, presentations, slide decks from classes, projects, research, um, reflections from classes. Not only do you have those those assignments that are artifacts that you'd put in a portfolio, but you also have 
pictures, videos, music, art, creative elements that that emote. And that combination of affective and cognitive, of feeling and thinking, is incredibly important because that's when learning happens that lasts. That's the learning that lasts, the deep learning that the literature talks about, the learning that transfers over time, um, meaning beyond a semester or that period you were in a class, um, the learning that is integrated into an individual's life, right? So so the, the learning portfolios then are really important when you consider the process and the fact that it is the building. Sometimes we jump, we are an instant gratification society. We want the easy button. We want the end. We want the product. Um, But the real magic in life is always in the process. It's always in the journey. It's always in the messiness. That's where the magic happens. That's where the learning happens. And so for us, that learning that happens in the building of the portfolio, in the reflecting, in the way the student organizes the portfolio, the tabs that they may choose, the structure of the portfolio, all of that is evidence of how they're making sense of. Obviously, as an educator, we can help guide that. We can give examples. We can give suggestions. But then allowing students to build that portfolio, to organize it in the way that they make sense, the pictures that they choose, the colors that they choose, all of that is part of their meaning making, is part of their building and that process of the building. Now, the exciting thing about portfolios is they're malleable. They can be changed. They can be tweaked into a professional portfolio that you would send to an employer. That is definitely part of the value proposition. But I always reframe for our students and our faculty, that is not the value proposition. The learning that happens is the value proposition. It is why it is a high-impact practice. It is why it is a... um, practice founded upon good pedagogy, on good teaching and learning. Uh, And it's because students have to have to go through this process of building and thinking and making meaning. Um, One of the best descriptions I've heard is a portfolio is like a student's personal museum and they're the curator and they have to curate everything that you see. So when I walk into that personal museum, when I click on that portfolio, Everything is labeled and described, and there is meaning behind it. And uh, and I think for a student to build that, it is a really powerful learning and reflective process. Yeah, absolutely. I I I picked up on one of the things that you said, um, which which makes me think that you know, and I I've always been on the same camp, by the way. But um, I I like the way that you had talked about sort of this, the, the, the process itself could be so strong that it is the product because it is what shows the world what kind of learner that you are. Because I think that people now recognize that even differently from specific skills. There are industries, there are disciplines where some certain skills are very, something that you earn and you acquired over time and you just kind of have it and they value it. There's no doubt about that, and I think it would be silly for a student to not showcase some of those, to at least communicate, like you said, curate that. But as part of the curation, 
it is now increasingly more important also for you to be able to show that you can emote, like you said, you can express yourself. You have feel feelings and thoughts that are not just skills. These are individualized, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, your, in, in your individualized self that was created by your environment, your upbringing, your beliefs, your passion, your, your, your mission in life, your decision-making process that allows you to show, should there be a new challenge or new skills that I need to acquire, I'm your per I'm the, I'm the one you want. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think absolutely. And I, I love the way you described that, you know, and I think of the work of like Carol Dweck of growth mm -hmm. mindset versus fixed mindset. Right. And I think sometimes when we approach portfolios, people go to that fixed mindset of a final portfolio that is polished that you can send to an external audience. And I think, no, we want growth mindset. We want the messy portfolio that you're building along the way that perhaps is always unfinished because we're still on this journey of being a learner and a lifelong learner, um, that we are constantly tweaking and building and looking at and reflecting upon um, that shows our humanity and our imperfections as well as our skill development. Um, and a lot of ways, you know, I think that's that growth mindset approach to portfolios could be really helpful for for us to then also demonstrate, yes, here's our skill de development, but here here's the way that I could self-assess. Here's the way that I was able to self-manage. Here's the way that I could demonstrate mastery and also demonstrate I was very aware of my lack of skills and that I had to pivot and work and to develop these skills. Um, that type of growth mindset is are more impressive and employers are looking for those types of employees that can do the self-assessment, self-manage, um, very aware of their own skill set and wants to learn other skills and knows what they need to work on. Those are all incredible employability skills. I, I will confirm from our own hiring and education. It's literally even whether we are hiring a, you know, senior level developer or programmer to a customer service, you know, representative or someone who can, you know, work on a help desk. Um, we actually make people do portfolios. Many of them don't have one um, and we'll give them a chance to do it. Um, if they have one, they can submit it. Um, and uh, most people who haven't had one, they have a hard time doing it. Um, and, and, but the ones that will do it and put effort into doing it and are able to show that allows us to, you know, sort of value them really, really differently. Um, and, and we actually, even for some folks, um, we don't make certain positions, we don't make them do a portfolio, but we would still ask questions like in a survey type, you know, a questionnaire type format to just to try to learn about them. And there are, um, applicants. So for anyone who's applying to education, at least, I mean, I don't know about other places. Um, if we give you a survey, we really want to learn about you, not only for the actual answer you put in, but also for how you put the answer in there. If you are asking a question and you are not able to contextualize and humanize and use that answer to show what kind of learner you are, what kind of 
you know, like especially for like the highly technical skills uh, position, the fact that they can say, I've been using this language or this database for the last 10 years, that doesn't impress us. It's, it's because we're going to keep changing that. It will change. It, it, we're going to use a different one probably in two years. That And maybe it's one that we haven't heard of yet, right? Yeah. But that I need to hire a person who's not going to be scared when that new thing comes along. Yeah. And 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 without that mindset, we just you know. And so I, what's interesting is that people will send us these applications. They, they it's part of what we ask for. Sometimes it's, for example, code samples for programmers. They think that code will do everything, and that's not true. I mean, we do look at them obviously, but. We actually look for all these other things that tell us clues on who you are. This concludes part one of our conversation. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.